Welcome to Faith E. If we haven't met yet, my name is Matt. Hello. I'm part of the team here at Faith E. Hello. <laughs> I'm glad that you joined us today. Hey, if you're new with us, we're really glad that you're able to join us this weekend. And uh, we pray that it just be an experience that blesses your life, but not only that, but transforms your life. If you're joining us online, a big welcome to you too. I'd imagine there's a few more people doing that with us today. So I just want to say thank you for joining us there. We are glad that you're able to join us that way. We're able to extend and expand our family here at Faithy through that technology. So welcome. I'm excited to see how God's going to use the word today to work and do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do in your lives. So to transform us and to become a little bit more like Jesus, becoming fully surrendered disciples. And by the way, full disclosure, that's what we're trying to do to everyone who comes in through our doors. We're trying to become fully surrendered disciples of Jesus who love God, love others, and share Jesus. And that simply means the love we experience from the Father begins to overflow out of our lives into the lives of those around us. Today's passage reminded me of an experience that happened to me about three years ago. So I was in Portland, I was fishing up school, and I took an Uber driver every time, I took an Uber every time I went to and from the airport. Has anyone else taken an Uber before? An Uber. So I always had the most interesting stories with these Uber drivers. I don't know if that was just Portland or just Uber in general, but they were always fascinating stories, fascinating people. But this one takes the cake that I'm going to share today. So I was, got into the Uber driver, into the Uber, and uh, immediately the driver reminded me of a buddy that I know out here in Billings. And it was the way he dressed, the way he talked, and even his haircut. So he was like a younger version of this guy that I'm a good friends with out here in Billings. And so small talk came easily with, with me and him, and, and we were talking on the way to the hotel. And, uh, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit nudged me. He tapped me on the shoulder and he said, hey, why don't you ask if there's anything you can be praying for him for? Ask to pray for him. And, and that's not really my personality. That doesn't come naturally to me, praying with strangers. I like to have something else, something a little less serious to break the ice of something like that. And so I said, uh, no, not that, Holy Spirit. Give me something else. <laughs> and, and so I said, all right. Well, uh, ask him what branch of the military he served in. And I said, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's a worse question. What if he hasn't? This could be a very awkward ride. I don't want to do that. I don't want to die today. I always had that image in the back of my mind. I don't know if it was a news story I, I read one time, but just occasionally people don't make it out of Ubers. So I didn't, <laughs> so I didn't want that to be like a real life game of Clue that they played with my wife, give her the envelope. Uh, how'd he die? Yeah, it was the Uber driver in a white sedan with a tire iron. Like, I didn't want that to happen to me. So I told the Holy Spirit, no. I actually said, this is, my wires are crossed. Uh, must have been too much caffeine this morning. You got the wrong guy. No. And so the rest of the ride was fairly quiet because I just had this tension inside of me. And so I stopped talking with the Uber driver and we just drove to the hotel. I got out of the Uber and went about my life. So I told the Holy Spirit, no. And that's the question I want us to wrestle with today, too. When is the time when you said no to God? Now, it might not have been an Uber in Portland, but maybe you were somewhere in Billings and the Holy Spirit tapped you on the shoulder. 
And maybe that person who's holding that sign, he said, hey, buy that person a sandwich. And you said, I'm busy. I have to get my own lunch. No. Or maybe you're sitting at home and you're watching a movie and it comes to this part. You know it's coming up. And instead of turning it off or fast-forwarding or turning your eyes away, you say no to God. Or maybe a song comes on the radio and you know that that song doesn't have great things in it that glorify God. And instead of hitting the next track, you just listen to it because that's easier to do. Or maybe it's a relationship that's getting too friendly with someone who's not your spouse. And instead of cutting it off and setting up appropriate boundaries, you say no to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. So have you ever said no to God? I'm willing to bet that on some level, each of us in the room can come up with an example of when we did this. It might be something very small or it might be something big. Maybe you were like me and you even had some really great excuses. And you let those excuses explain away the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. I found, I don't know if it's just me, my upbringing, my faith tradition, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and him talking to me, I'm very slow to obey and quick to explain away. So maybe that's you. When the Holy Spirit is nudging you on the shoulder, tapping you and says something even very specific to you, you're very slow to obey, you're skeptical and very quick to explain away. So today we're going to look at how a decision made by a disciple of Jesus to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their life changed the life of another disciple and actually indirectly impacted all of our lives today. So if you missed last week, we started our series, Solitarsis, and Pastor Paul did a great job of unpacking all the context behind Saul and his journey and what led him to here, to this moment that we're going to talk about today. And it led him to a moment on the road to Damascus when he was confronted by the risen Christ in a blinding light and a voice that in an instant had changed not only Saul's vision, but the way he, he saw the entire world. So today we'll be looking at Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 20. So if you'd like to take your Bibles out and turn there now. And if you didn't bring one with you, there are Bibles in the seats right in front of you. And actually those Bibles are not only for you to use, but if you don't have one, take that home with you. Read it, use it, it's yours, they're free. Like seriously, take it. If you don't have one, we'd love you to take one of those. So here today, we see the other side of the story that we looked at last week unfolding behind the scenes. We're going to read Acts chapter 9, verse 10. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So before we start looking at these verses more closely, why don't you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the book of Acts. For the challenge it is to see how the early church moved and operated in the past and then apply that to our lives today. To spread the good news and build your kingdom here in Billings as it is in heaven. God, your kingdom come, our kingdom go. Holy Spirit, reveal what you'd have to say from us from your word today. Speak to us very specifically, God. We ask that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive and respond to what you have for us. Transform our lives so that we look more like your son. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So in these verses today, we see a double vision, actually a parallel vision. Ananias and Saul are both praying and both have visions from God. And God uses these visions, this double vision, to emphasize that he is in control and he is orchestrating these events. So chapter 9, verse 10 says this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. So the question that we need to ask is, who is Ananias? There's not much mentioned about him, but what do we know about him? Well, it tells us he's a disciple of Jesus. And then when Luke recounts the story a second time in Acts 22, he says this of Ananias. He says, Ananias was a devout observer of the law, the Torah, and highly respected by all the Jews living there. So putting these two passages together, we see that Ananias is both a devout Jew and a Christ follower. And Ananias was held in high regard by the other Jews. He's got clout with these people. Saul was also held in high regard by the other Jews and is now a new follower of Jesus Christ. And I think it's very purposeful who God chose to use to restore Saul's sight. Ananias is a disciple of Jesus who is one step ahead in his discipleship journey from where Saul currently finds himself. He's perfectly equipped to help Saul with his next steps which should be an encouragement, I think, to us today, too. See, God will use whatever is in your past to help you reach those in your future. So whatever is in your past, whatever it is, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, he will use those things to connect you with people in the future, to help you empathize with them, to help you understand where they're at, their point of view, to help you step into their shoes so you can help them take their next step of faith toward Christ. God will use whatever is in your past to help you reach those in your future if you would just let him. And that's who Ananias is. And we see that he's talking with God in a vision, which a vision might not be something we're very common with in today's culture in the U.S. But the vision here is essentially like a prayer that you can both see and hear things from God. Notice Ananias' response to the vision. He isn't freaked out by it. He's not surprised. He takes it in stride. It seems to be a normal part of his relationship with God. And this is what God says to Ananias in the vision. We see this in Acts 9, verses 11 and 12. 
The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So notice how specific God is being here with Ananias. He tells him who he's going to heal, where he's from, and where to find him. He's very specific. And he also tells Ananias that he's already shown Saul that Ananias will come to restore his sight. So before God has told Ananias to go to Saul, he's already told Saul that he's coming. And this is what I like to call being voluntold. So being voluntold is a term that I like to use anytime someone asks me to do something and just based on the relationship that I have with them or the thing they're asking me to do, I really don't have a choice. So I've been voluntold to do something. And we use this all the time when we're parenting in our house. So it could be something even mundane as doing the dishes. So dishes, uh, first kid is doing the dishes, it's their chore to do, and then we look at one of our other children and we say, hey, you know what would be a really great idea? Is if you did the wash by hands while they loaded the dishwasher. Blank teenage stare and silence. They're just looking at us like the different language we're speaking. And then they shake their head slowly in agreement. Yeah, you're, you're right. That would be nice. Somebody should help them with the dishes. I go, okay, okay, okay. I wasn't asking. I was telling you. They helped you last time. Help them this time. You've been voluntold. So Ananias is voluntold here by God to go to Saul. Now, in reality, does Ananias have a choice? I think he does. But you have to remember that the story is being told by Luke, and now it's in hindsight. So I don't think the order in which it happens is all that relevant. But what is important is that he's asking, he's being asked to go to Saul, and God has affirmed that request with another vision with Saul. And we see Ananias' answer to God in this vision in verse 13. He says, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So in response to God, Ananias seems to be telling God what God already knows. It looks like he's God-splaining to God. But wait, I don't think that's what's happening here at all. I think in reality what Ananias is trying to say is he's asking God a question. He's asking, are you sure you have the right guy? Or maybe an underlying question. Him? Saul? Are you sure you could have chosen anybody in the world and you chose him? Are you serious? So he's really asking God a question. Not only does he pray with God, but Ananias engages with God. He questions God. And based on the response that he gets from God, God seems to be perfectly okay with his questions. He has permission to ask, permission to doubt, permission to be afraid. And God meets him right where he's at. Not where he ought to be, but where he's actually at. And I think that's something we can learn from too today. In our relationship with God, it's okay to ask questions. Because nothing surprises God. Nothing is taboo. Nothing is off limits. He's okay with your questions. He's God. In fact, consider this truth. Asking questions is a great way to learn. 
Questions are a great place to start when you're looking for answers. It seems obvious, right, when I say it like that? But how often in our faith are we afraid to ask questions? See, I think sometimes we can become so preoccupied with having all the right answers that we become afraid to ask questions. And God doesn't want you to be afraid to ask questions. He can handle your questions. So when you're praying, pray what you got. Don't pray what you think he wants you to hear. If you have questions, pray those. He can handle it. Don't be afraid to ask God questions. And at times, this has even kept me from sharing my faith with others. I thought, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? I could do more harm in this situation than good. But in reality, this is actually a really great problem to have. Not having all the answers is an opportunity for you to show them how to ask questions in a productive way. Asking questions is a great way to learn. And I also do this whenever I sit down to study the Bible. While I'm reading it, I'm writing down all the questions that I have. And I would suggest that's a great place for each of us to start. Even if it's just three questions to start with. You know, the three could be, what does it say? What does it mean? What do I do? Those are also listed in your bulletin. And it's the primary way we recommend for all of us to study the Bible. So remember, a great way to learn is to ask questions. So learn to ask questions. So to Ananias' questions, the Lord repeats himself but also gives him an explanation. God says to Ananias in verse 15, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So God tells Ananias a one-command response, Go. And then he gives him a glimpse of the bigger plan that he has in store for Saul. He tells him that Saul is God's chosen instrument, his chosen instrument, the vessel that he will use to carry the good news to first the Gentiles, then their kings, and then the Jewish people. And we see that in Acts as he preaches to Felix, Festus, and Agrippa, and he also teaches in the synagogues. So these verses aren't just a summary of the rest of the book of Acts. They summarize the next 32 years of Saul's life. A part of me likes to think that Ananias was actually still a little bit on the fence as far as if he's going to agree to go to Saul or not until that last little sentence in this verse. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias' ears perk up and he says, suffer? Saul, suffer? Okay, God, I'm in. Send me. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's do this. And suffer he would. In Acts, Luke goes on to describe quite the laundry list of beatings. And those are listed in your bulletin. And if you ever think you've got a bad day, just pull out that list and give it a read. But the list that I'm interested in, Saul writes himself about two-thirds of the way through his ministry, and we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll read it to you now. He says, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches." 
And according to church tradition, Saul would eventually be martyred in Rome under Emperor Nero. Saul knew what it meant to suffer for Christ. And suffering is a common part of the Christian experience. When we live countercultural to the world, there will be consequences. We will suffer. So living for Christ means suffering for Christ. And we might not experience the suffering that Saul did. Though many Christians have suffered that way in the past, and actually today, Christians around the world are suffering in the very same manner. And they'll continue to suffer in this world until Christ returns. The suffering we are to endure here in the U.S., I would propose, is mostly self-inflicted. So what's that mean? What do I mean by that? It means our lives need to look radically different from the lives of those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be watching the things they watch. We shouldn't be listening to the things they listen to. And we shouldn't be spending our time the way that they spend theirs. And in this way, in these small sacrifices we make, we too can suffer and align ourselves with Christ. So living for Christ means suffering for Christ. And if we reverse engineer that, if we look at our lives and we aren't suffering in some way, if our lives look identical to people who don't believe in Christ, we probably aren't living for him. Ananias does go to Saul. And we see in verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. So what I want you to do this morning is put yourself in Saul's sandals. Maybe even close your eyes. And imagine that you've been led to an unfamiliar city, to a house you've never been in. You're being guided around the furniture. And now you're sitting in a room in complete darkness. And suddenly you hear a man open the door. And you've been expecting him with great anticipation. And he greets your host, Judas, as he walks across the room. And you feel his presence next to you. He puts his hand on you and he says, Brother Saul, brother, he calls you brother. After all you've done, and you know Ananias is fully aware of this, he calls you brother. Brother Saul, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the crust that's been building around your eyes, it's just been a nagging nuisance for you for the last three days, begins to fall away. And another light pierces your vision as you're able to see the world for the first time. But this time, it's an entirely new place for you because you have a new mission. And you see the person who God sent to you right in front of you as he explains to you God's plan for your life, what you are to do next. He begins to disciple you. And we see what he does next. He says, Ananias says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So I want to take a minute to talk about baptism. What is baptism? Well, baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. Just like God used Ananias to heal Saul's vision, God often throughout Scripture uses the physical to be symbolic of the spiritual. And something similar is happening during baptism. It symbolizes our death to sin and our commitment to living our lives for God. 
And as we'll see throughout the rest of Saul's letters, baptism is assumed by Saul of all followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized. So here are a couple questions just for the room. Are you a follower of Christ, number one? If no, if you're skeptical, you're still on the fence, I would just say welcome. I'm glad you're here today, and I hope you find that this is a safe place to ask questions. But if you are a follower of Christ, have you been baptized? And then why not? What are you waiting for? Follow Christ's example and be baptized. In fact, we would love to celebrate that step of obedience with you. We're pulling out our hot tub at the end of the month, and you can come. We already have a handful of people signed up, but you can come, and we would love to celebrate that next step of obedience in your life. So sign up. You can sign up on the Connect card, or you can come up after the service and tell someone that you'd like to be a part of that. We would love to celebrate that step with you. Don't wait. Say yes to God in that step. So he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. So Saul immediately starts being poured into by other disciples. And he also starts making disciples. He becomes part of the school of Jesus. And that's what the church is supposed to be. It's a school for Jesus. Because disciple literally means learner. So we are learning to become fully surrendered learners of Jesus here. Both Ananias and Saul say yes to God when he asks them to go. Which brings me back to that Uber driver that I was talking about at the beginning of the service. So I got done with my classes and all week I was just out of sorts because I kept on thinking about Man, I should have said something. I could have said something. Why didn't I say something? I should have said something. And just apologizing to God over my disobedience. And I walk out of classes on the last day into the parking lot, and I'm taking the Uber back to the airport, and I stop as the same Uber driver is standing in the parking lot right at that moment, the same one, which I don't know what the odds of that are, but apparently they're not zero. And I actually looked it up online, and there's Reddit after Reddit thread of, oh, I had the same Uber driver. And I had a similar response from my Uber driver where he just had, like, vague recognition, but it really didn't mean a whole lot to him. I was way more surprised by it. And uh, so I get in the back of the car, and, and, uh, and same thing. All of a sudden, awkward silence. And, and I'm just sitting there going, and God goes, hey, same driver, same question. Go ahead, ask away. <laughs> I'm like... I, okay, okay. And so we're, we're, we hit the off-ramp for the airport. So now's, if I'm going to say anything, now's the time. And so I blurt out, I go, uh, this might seem like a really weird question, I'm sorry, but what branch of the military did you serve in? And surprised, he looks up the rearview mirror and kind of looks at me and goes, well, I served in the Army. I go, huh, he's like, how'd you know? Like, what gave me away? I said, well, just the way you carried yourself. You, know, uh, you reminded me of a friend back home who also served. So I kind of just made an assumption and just thought I'd ask. And, and uh, I, said, I said, he was also a cop. And I said, by chance, did you serve in the force? Were you ever a policeman? And, and he amused, surprised again, goes, yeah. 
actually served on the force out in San Antonio. I, I just moved here. And uh, I go, oh, really? He's like, yeah, driving Uber is just temporary, and I hope to eventually get into something like that out here too. Uh, just waiting to see what I'm going to do. And uh, I said, so why Portland? And airport's coming up, and you, know, you could move anywhere. Why Portland? And he goes, well, then I said, do you have family out here or something? And, and he, says, he says, yeah, my mom actually lives out here. And, uh, then, and then he said, well, Portland, he's like, um, my wife and I were at the end of a really messy divorce. And uh, I had to get out of that city, and I moved to be close to family. And, and then silence in the car. And he said, actually, we just made things final this morning. And, uh, and I'm just like, okay, God, what do I say here? And, uh, and we're pulling up to the airport now. And, uh, and I go, I'm sorry, that's, I'm sorry that happened. Uh, that sucks. That sucks. And uh, I'm glad there's family here. And uh, he goes, thanks. And I go, hey, just no pressure, but can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? He says, I couldn't tell if he's shaking his head yes or no, but he said, sure. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I don't remember anything that I said other than somewhere in the prayer I did say, hey, uh, I pray that he would just find a group of believers that he can connect with and they can come alongside him and encourage him and love him and sh- help him decide what his next steps are going to be. And then I said, amen, and he just looked at me in the rearview mirror, and then he swore. Actually, he swore at me. And then, (laughs) but then he started shaking his head. And he goes, this cannot be a coincidence. This is not a coincidence. And then slowly he starts explaining, I was just on the phone with my mom before I picked you up. And she said, son, you've got to get back to church. Come with me this weekend. And then you get in the car and you ask me really weird questions. And then you pray with me. And he said, it looks like I'm going to church. So I said, I'm going to call my mom. So I was like, I think that's a great idea. And, and then I got out of the Uber, got into the airplane, and came home. And I don't know if he actually did call his mom. I don't know if he went to church that weekend. I can't tell you anything more about this guy other than When God in his mercy and his providence gave me a second chance to speak into his life, to be Jesus for him in that moment, to be his presence in his life, I said yes. I said yes. And then he guided me step by step through that conversation. I didn't have to have all the right answers, but I did listen to the Holy Spirit, and then I just did what I thought Jesus would do if he were me talking with that man. Now, I don't always get it right. In fact, most of the time, I don't. But I found that when I'm willing to go, when the Spirit says to, he meets me right where I'm at, not where I think I ought to be, but where I'm at. And he uses me to do things that I could never do on my own. So my question to you is, how about you? Where is God asking you to go? So where has he asked you to go and you've been telling him no? Are you like me? Are you slow to obey the Holy Spirit in your life and quick to explain it away? Are you inadvertently silencing the Holy Spirit's voice in your life? 
Are you allowing God to use your past to reach those in the future, to develop future learners of Jesus? Where is God asking you to go? So stop saying no and start saying yes. Just be open to it as you go throughout your day. If you feel the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder, obey, go, say yes. You don't have to have all the right answers. Just allow God to use you right where you're at. So let's pray as we close today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example of Ananias and Saul and their obedience and their reflection of your faithfulness and them being faithful. God, we're so glad they did. And it's amazing to think of all the fruit that has come from those obedient decisions they made. And God, if there's somebody sitting in this room and they've never said yes to you ever, maybe coming in through these doors today was their first step of yes. And they didn't even know what they were going to experience here. But your Holy Spirit met them right where they're at, not where they thought they ought to be. But here now in this room, if that's you and the Holy Spirit's telling you to say yes for the very first time, and maybe you've been saying no to God for a long time. And you still have more questions than answers, but you want to start saying yes. I urge you, do it today. Say yes to God. Even if it's a small step, say yes. And if you do make that decision, please tell somebody about it, somebody you trust, somebody who can help you decide your next step in learning how to become like Jesus. But maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time and, and you've never taken that step of obedience and baptism. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart. Don't wait. Say yes to God. Now let's take a couple moments just to listen to the Holy Spirit. Just ask him, God, where have I been saying no? Commit to saying yes. Okay, and then in closing, I'd like to pray a benediction over you. This is from Philippians, and we're going to go into that here in a couple months. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. So if you made a decision this week or you want somebody to pray with you, we'd be happy to do that at the front. And just as you go throughout your week this week, be listening for the Holy Spirit. Be open to his leading. And when he taps you on the shoulder, stop saying no. Start saying yes. So we'll see you next week. I love you. Stay warm. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.